The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Have you loved and lost? Have you been betrayed and wanted revenge? Or have you just wanted to find the love of your life? This week, my guest is Ariel Ford, and we'll talk about her new book, The Love Thief, which has all of these elements in it and more. Ariel is a leading personality in the personal growth and contemporary spirituality movement. And for the past 30 years, she's been living, teaching, and promoting consciousness through all forms of media. She is a celebrated love and relationship expert, author, speaker, and is the co-creator and host of Evolving Wisdom's Art of Love series. Her mission is to help women find love, keep love, and be love. And that's what this conversation is about. So get ready. This conversation really will take you into understanding what are some of the stages of love? How do we watch out for those people that really aren't good for us? What is a narcissist and how do we avoid them? And how do we continue to sustain love? What are the important elements? You're going to hear about this and so much more as I talk with Ariel Ford here on Igniting the Spark. In a world that can be challenging and at times unpredictable, it's hard to find moments to focus on what you need. Join Stephanie James on The Spark as she guides you to use your inner flame to ignite your best life. As a best-selling author, psychotherapist, transformational life coach, and international show host, Stephanie is dedicated to helping you create a life that takes you, your goals, and your passions to the next level so you can live a life that is fully lit up and fully alive. She believes that your life is meant to be a beautiful expression of the things that light you up. That by living your dreams, you give permission to others to do the same. Are you ready to feel alive and inspired to fuel your dreams and put a fire behind your desires? Let's ignite a spark in one another that will illuminate the world. The Spark with your host, Stephanie James, starts now. Ariel Ford, so awesome to have you here. Welcome to Igniting the Spark. Thank you, Stephanie. I just love being with you. I love being with you. This is such a joy. And for you listeners, I am so excited that I get to spend this time with Ariel again. We had done this recording and it disappeared during Mercury retrograde, which I'm telling you is real. So <laughs> I want to show you all first this amazing book, The Love Thief. And this is Ariel's latest book. It's a novel. We're going to be chatting about this book and so many of the awesome principles and just beautiful insights that come through on this book. And for those of you that haven't read it yet, it's a book of love and betrayal and redemption and transformation and revenge. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I have to tell you, I really do love that part. Well, you know what? The, The if when karma works, which I think it always works, people get what they deserve. And, you know, if, if they were really bad to you and they bad things happen to them, it's okay to feel vengeful. You know, they got what they deserve. So yeah, there's a little revenge in there. There's a good, very juicy revenge subplot. Yes, which is so awesome. We'll talk a little bit about, I know everyone says, you know, how'd you get the idea to write the book? And I know from chatting with you, some of this is some real life kind of uh, woven through this. Well, the book, it's a work of fiction that was inspired by actual events and names and circumstances have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. 
That's sort I love of that the phrase. official explanation. Yes. <laughs> but I yes, I, you know, they say you write what you know, and that's what this book is. It's what I know. So it was either my experience or close friends or observations. And, uh, you know, I wanted to capture the depth of emotion people go through when they've been betrayed, you know, because betrayal is actually the hardest emotion to get over. And the reason it's so hard is because when you can't be betrayed by a stranger, you know, they could rip you off, but they can't break your heart. If your heart gets broken, it's because you love that person and you thought they loved you. So overcoming betrayal is not easy. And yet it, it can happen and love will come to you again. But first you have to go through all the darkness. You do. And I, I do that. That reminds me of this quote I had written down um, when you and I had done our last podcast. I loved this. You said love is something we can experience over and over again when we open our hearts to it. If a relationship ends, it's not the end. So how do people heal their heartache? How do how can they mend this sense of horrible betrayal within them? You know, you just have to really go through the process. You know, you have to really admit, yes, this totally sucks. I feel like crap. You know, it really hurts. And, you know, I'll do better next time. I'll make better choices, better decisions. I won't wait eight or 10 or 20 years knowing that this isn't right. And some of it I really believe is also karma. You know, you don't get through life unscathed. We're not supposed to get through life unscathed, but we are supposed to get the lessons that we get. <laughs> you know, at some point you got to learn. So if you're making the same mistakes over and over again, take some personal responsibility for it <clears throat> and reach out for help. I mean, this is why God made therapists and coaches and best friends. You know, there are people who want to love you and support you and hold your hand through it and just know that, you know, the worst is over. Whatever happened, happened. The worst is over. Now, what are the baby steps you can take, you know, to get over it, to get through it? And to always know that that um, there's no shortage of love in the world. You know, even if you're not feeling it right now, it's going to come, you know. But first, you have to be open, willing and available. And sometimes you need to spend some time grieving before you can get to that spot. You know, and I really feel that. I love that you say that. I think it's such an important message from someone like myself who has been married more than a couple of times. I feel like it's important that through our whole lives, we can find love. It doesn't mean that there's this finite supply and at one point it runs out and now no more for us. Right, right. There's no, there's no love Nazi doing the soup Nazi thing. No more love for you, you know, <laughs> and yet there are people who believe that they believe the myth that we each only get one big love in a lifetime. And it's not true. It's absolutely not true. And the other thing, the myth I'd really like to bust is that just because a relationship ends doesn't mean you need to stop loving the person. There's a lot of pain in trying to pretend you don't love somebody. And you can love them, but you need to not obsess about them. So even if the relationship ended really horribly, you can still have a little piece of your heart that still loves them and wishes well for them and has decided not to kill them. <laughs> <Right>? yeah. <laughs> and then just don't obsess. They're not coming back. You don't even really want them back. You know, so anytime you spend wasting fantasizing, if only, you know, especially if they're remarried to somebody else, you know, you, you, you got to do what Cher said, snap out of it, you know, <laughs> get over it. And you need to be that person for yourself. You know, they're not coming back. You know, they left you for somebody else. It's horrible. And, you know, there's a way in which I love the phrase rejection is protection. Yeah. You know, rejection is protection. And there's somebody else out there, somebody much better for you, that if you could heal yourself enough and get visible again, would walk into your life and give you the love you deserve. I love that. What an important distinction, Ariel. This, this thing of like, it's okay. Because I think sometimes that 
is part of what inhibits the healing process is that people are like, okay, this guy was a jerk or this woman was a jerk. So now I have to hate that person or I can't have these feelings and how lovely that, yeah, it's okay to know this person wasn't for you. This isn't right. And that it's okay to still have that love. Even the higher level is, you know what? Maybe this was our karma together. Who knows what I did to him or her in my past life, that this was just retribution. You know, whatever it is, we're not going to know. So let's make up a good story about it. Okay. You know, it's like, yes, in our last lifetime together, I was the man, he was the wife. I slept with all his, her best friends. You know, I did this, that, and the other thing. Now he got me back. We're even right. And just remember the good times. There were good times in there. So don't, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, yeah. And I love to Wayne Dyer had said, I remember really resonating also with the words that he had said about, you know, we have contracts. Sometimes we have relationship contracts with people yes. in this life. Old and it's contracts. like, yeah, old contracts. And so it's soul, like, oh, soul contracts. Oh yeah. 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 Soul contracts. Soul contracts. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, that, that actually helped me, um, in my last marriage go, oh, okay. We had something we were needing to fulfill. We did this 12 years and we raised four amazing kids. And now for the last 12 years that I haven't been married to him, it's like, yeah, this was supposed to happen too. Like I would never have accessed the life I'm leading now had I stayed married. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't think we're supposed to have all the answers. You know, I think we just need to accept like, here's where I am today. You know, what could I do? What's, what's the highest, most loving thing I can do for me today, as opposed to why people want to know why did they do that? Well, you know, whether they tell you the truth or they lie about it, how does the why help you at all? You know, it's like, it's like when you're on a diet and somebody offers you a chocolate chip cookie and you eat it. Well, why? because it's there and it looked good. And I was hungry and I love chocolate chip cookies. You know, did I just step over my own boundary? Did I promise myself to eat less sugar? Yes. And, you know, and it was there. So like this whole having to understand every human behavior, I think just really messes us up. You know, it's like, what can I do right now in this moment? What could I do that would be fun? That would make me happy. That would help me let go. And that's why I like, you know, cognitive therapy, like tapping makes so much sense. You know, it's like, so I'm getting a headache. I could analyze why am I getting a headache? Or I could take five minutes and tap my way out of the headache. What's going to serve me more? Perfect. Tapping, of course. Yeah, I, I tap probably five days a week about something. I love that. I love that. As a psychotherapist, I use EFT all the time. I use EMDR why for people. Yes. Why wouldn't you? Of course. You know? It's like, yes, I, I could take a little yellow pill or I could tap, you know, I could just acknowledge, oh, I'm feeling really stressed out. Why am I stressed out? No, who cares why? Let's just not be stressed. Isn't that beautiful? I love that, Ariel, because it's like we experience those emotions in our body, right? We get the hit, we get the tightness in our chest or in our throat. And instead of having to analyze what that is about, to know that it's there, to be in tune with ourselves, and then we can release it. You know, I I talk about it like changing the channel. We don't have to focus on this awful, I, I would say like screamo music that we don't enjoy. Instead, we can change the channel and tune in and do something that really serves us makes so much more sense to do that. Well, and I want to talk more about this book because I love these characters. And I told you the reason I swear to God, one of the reasons we had to have this conversation is because last time I spoke with you, I hadn't finished the book. And so I finally finished the book. And so again, so talk a little bit about this uh, Holly and then this horrible character, Barry, that is like, I think every woman's worst nightmare that she meets. Talk a little bit. Uh, tell us a little bit more well, just about so, the story. So Holly's this really wonderful, fun and funny 38 year old woman whose entire life she's been dreaming of having the white picket fence, the husband, the two kids and the dog. And, you know, she's She's a chef, but she's not super ambitious like all her girlfriends are. She just 
She just wants to have a nice life. She wants to be your perfect next door neighbor. And she's starting to get really worried because she's close to her 38th birthday and it doesn't look like the guy's going to show up and her, her eggs are getting old and screaming at her. And she doesn't know if she should spend this little inheritance she got from her grandfather on freezing her eggs or not. And she goes to cater the biggest event of her life, the richest family in all of San Diego. And while there, she meets the son of the woman she's doing the work for. And he is Prince Charming. He literally looks like Prince Charming. He is, he is charismatic and handsome and well-mannered. And the relationship takes off. That's off and running instantly. And she's in love. And he proposes, he proposes to her from the pitcher's mound of Peco Park at the end of a game and fireworks go off. I mean, every fantasy she's ever had is coming true until it doesn't, until he cheats on her with her best friend and business partner. And she discovers this and ends up crashing into the back of an 18 wheeler and nearly dies. So we now have Holly who has her heart broken and her dreams crushed and she's nearly dead. And she doesn't know how to come back from this. So that's how the, the story opens. And, and along the way, she discovers that uh, her betraying fiance is criminal. And she's going to end up in prison unless she turns state's evidence against him. So it's this really roller coaster ride of Holly's emotions. She's up and she's down and she's miserable and she she actually tracks her misery level every day. She checks in, you know, am I still at a 10? You know, and some days she gets down to a two and then she gets a text and then she's a 10 again. So it's it's just this uh, story that unfortunately too many women have experienced. They've been on this roller coaster of up and down. They're miserable. They don't think they're ever going to find love again. And she she ends up finding a man that we call her Love Walla. He's a retired psychologist professor, and he starts to be her guide and her guru and explains to her that this fiance never loved her, that he love bombed her and that she never stood a chance against him. And, you know, all the things that what love she learns what love really is and what love isn't. So that's that's the story of the love thief. My uh, producer, I have a producer who's going to turn it into a limited streaming series. She says the book is Eat, Pray, Love meets Dirty John. And that is truly what it is. My villain is as evil as the real Dirty John. I am telling you, he is the man you love to hate in this book. And, you know, we spoke a little bit about it before in our previous interview. And I thought, gosh, how important to really bring it up again, because so many women are love bombed and do deal with a sociopath or a narcissist where, I mean, it leaves you doubting yourself and not even really like you're trying to gauge reality. And, you know, I and so I could just really feel that, you know, with her character and and just the pain that she went through. What are some of the, some of the things that, that number one, people need to be aware of when, when they start dating someone to it's, pick up on these actually, cues? The first thing I need to say is don't have sex with them. Okay. Whatever you do, tall, dark, handsome, charming, charismatic, super smart. They target women like you. They target smart, successful women because they know that you've been spending all this energy on your career and that the only thing missing in your life is soulmate love and they're here to give it to you or at least have you think that's what you're getting and they know how to whisper in your ear everything you ever wanted to hear and they move things rapid fire pace you know they go from zero to a million within days oh where have you been my whole life i've been looking for you how did you not get snapped up by anybody else we're going to have the most gorgeous family together i'm going to love you like nobody's ever loved you and that's how it feels and then you have sex with them and then the oxytocin bombs go off and now you're a junkie you're hooked you're totally hooked and even though the red flags come up and you may notice them 
this is too good. You don't want to give up this drug high that you're on. And that's exactly what it is. It's a drug high. There's no love there. My favorite line in the book, my favorite line is when Holly is whining and moaning to Deepak, oh, I just want to be loved. And did he ever really love me? And he says to her, Holly, asking a man like this to love you is like asking a man with no arms to hold you. Simply impossible. They're not capable of love because they're not capable of empathy. So, you know, you were used and maybe they got your money and maybe they didn't because that's what they're there for. You know, they're you're targeted. You are prey, you know, and then what comes after that? Well, all the shame. Well, I'm so smart and I'm so successful. How did I fall for a man like this? And you were snared. He led you into a trap. You didn't really stand a chance. Now what you got to do is get your money back, get away and not do it again. You know, you're smarter now, you know better, but you are prey. So, you know, and, and you can't do it alone. You need a good therapist. I'm telling you, you can't do this alone because there's so much shame and guilt involved. I should have known better. And you could, even if you knew better, you were hooked. Like, it's like, you know, this is how pimps turn out prostitutes right? Oh, I'm going to be your big daddy. I'm going to take care of you. Let's go shopping. Let me buy you gifts. Oh, and by the way, if you want more of this, you now need to sleep with this guy and that guy. It's the same thing, except the, the only thing you're prostituting is your heart. Hmm. It's terrible. It's terrible. And, and unfortunately, I've watched so many of my friends go through it. It wasn't really hard to write an evil character like Barry, because I knew a lot of them. Yes. And and then the healing process from that, you know, I mean, I really hear you and the importance of working with a professional, working with someone that can truly help you on this, because it is, there's so much shame. And the longer you're with them, I feel like the, the deeper that goes. I mean, some people actually marry these people and are with them oh, for no. years I, and I, then it explodes. No, and... no, I, I have, I have an itch on my back. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend who was married for 10 years, thought she had a great marriage until she discovered that he also had another wife and a family that existed before her. For 10 years, he kept this secret. She didn't know. And she's a PhD psychotherapist. And she didn't know. It can happen to anybody. And if it happened to you, it's just proof that you're a woman of smarts and substance and beauty because you were targeted. Absolutely. So yes. Holly in the book goes on to have not just, I mean, she's healing on so many levels and she goes to India and has a truly, you know, she, she was kind of thinking all this spiritual stuff with her little spiritual hippie mom, you know, was, was this woo woo. And yet she finds herself in this beautiful place in India and has this amazing spiritual awakening and yeah. transformation. Yeah, Holly was not a seeker at all. You know, in fact, she was a reaction to her baby boom new age mother who used to hang dream catchers over her crib. So she was totally not into this. She went to India because she's a chef and she went to cooking school. She didn't go to have mystical healing experiences. And yet in Rishikesh, which is the yoga and meditation capital of the world, these things happen just day on a daily basis. And she was guided by a holy woman who told her, give your pain to the river, give your pain to the Ganges, to Ma Ganga. And she didn't believe it. And she did. And she ends up having this, what we would probably call an enlightenment experience where her pain was taken away. And even after the pain was taken away, she didn't trust it. She didn't believe that it would be lasting, but she surrendered. She surrendered and just basically said, I'm ready to give it up. I'm ready to let go. I'm ready to no longer suffer. And do you need to go to the Ganges to do that? It would probably be a faster way to do it, but no, you don't need to go to India, but you do need at some point to surrender and give it up to just say, I'm no longer willing to suffer.
Well, and let's talk about that because I think that is such an important piece. There, there's such a duality in surrender and people think, oh, I'm being weak or that's me waving the white flag. But surrender takes incredible courage and can be one of the most powerful processes yeah, that we do. Well, and it's about, so surrender really means letting go, right? So we could let go right now. You could say, okay, like put a pen in your hand, hold it out in front of you. Think of something you want to let go of. How do you let go? It's that easy. And it's that hard because you have to choose it over and over again. Today, I'm going to choose to let go of my monkey mind telling me all the reasons I can't do A, B, and C, whatever that is. So it's about being an emotionally mature adult and managing your emotions. So you could let them run over you, which is what we do. And then you're just all caught up and, oh, I feel so bad and I'm so afraid and I'm so this. And that's all very real, you know. So what I do when I get like that is I don't suppress it. I put a timer on my phone and I give myself three minutes to go down the rabbit hole. I spend three minutes beating the crap out of myself. I just say the most horrible things. It's true. You are the stupidest woman God ever created. You don't deserve to be successful. There's no way you're going to figure out how to do A, B, and C. And then usually at about 60 seconds or less, I start to laugh because my common sense mind kicks in. And I know none of what I just said is true, you know, but I haven't suppressed it. I've let it go. And then I go and stand in front of a mirror and I say the most wonderful things to myself you're just the smartest girl that ever lived and people just adore and worship you and they can't wait to be with you and thank god you decided to let go of whatever it is i just let go of because now you can start your new life right now in this moment so in the next three minutes what can i do that would be the most loving kind gentle thing for myself and then i go and do it but that's emotional management you know and you can have a shrink and you can have a best friend who's going to be there to support you, but you can't call them five times a day. And maybe you need to be tapping five times a day, you know, to be letting go of nonsense. And most people, they'd rather take that little yellow pill. No, I don't want it. It's just too much work. I'd rather take a pill. And the pills are good for the really bad days when you have to stand in the security line at the airport and you think you're going to have a panic attack take the yellow pill or whatever color your pill is, you know, but for the most part, you have to just imagine that you're the only one who can save you. In this moment, I can save me. Now, do I want to do it? Probably not. You know, do I want to give up the time to spend five or seven minutes tapping through my anxiety? Probably not. But that's what there is to do. I need to be personally responsible for my own happiness. Well, and so powerful, Ariel, because, you know, one of my life lessons has been that we need to realize like all the beauty, all the wisdom, all these things we're searching for outside of us, that really it's an inside job. Totally. And that we can go in and connect with whatever your source of higher power is, whatever your source of the divine is, or just that wisdom that resides within you. And like you were saying, at, at some point that kicks in. I love, I love the compartmentalization of like three minutes, put an yes. alarm on and then stop. And you can't do it for three minutes. That's the funny thing. I don't know anybody who can beat themselves up for three full minutes. Three minutes is really a long time. But I also recommend that you have a, a very big spiritual toolkit, you know, like mine's filled. I mean, I do have tapping and then I have my heart math inner balance app. And then I do lavender aromatherapy baths or i go for a walk without my phone so i can just tune into nature like what am i hearing and what am i smelling i mean the cognitive stuff that's available that we've all been taught i do my breathing i'm breathing in for four breathing out for four holly does a lot of breathing in the book there's a ton of breathing because it works but you have to choose to do it it's like oh i'm feeling really kind i got it happened this morning i was i was about to do my my inner balance app and I wasn't doing it. And then I took my blood pressure. My blood pressure was high. And normally if I do my breathing, my blood pressure, nothing was working this morning. I thought, okay, this isn't what's working. Let's go chop some vegetables. And by the time I got done chopping vegetables, I was happy again. You know, that's part of my toolkit too. Some days you just got to stop where you are 
you know, and what do they call it? There's a word for that. Yeah, you just, well, reframing is one of it, but you just, you got to, um, just got to go do something else. Yeah. It's, it's like you redirect yourself. You, you reframe. Redirect, exactly. Yeah. Redirect. And so, you know, that, that old adage we used to hear, you know, this is something I can't remember the exact story, but it basically is like a student goes to a master and says, master, you know, how do I become enlightened? And the master's like, carry water, chop wood. Yes. Yes. You know, cause that's what, that's what we're doing. It's bringing ourselves to the present moment and you were chopping vegetables, <laughs> you know, it's perfect. And I think the other thing to really realize is we're not supposed to be ecstatically happy all the time. And if that's your expectation, then of course you're going to be miserable because misery is part of life. The question is, how long are you going to be miserable and how do you get out of it? You know, it's just like we have good days and bad days. You know, it's like um, I turned 70 in the last year. And, you know, some days I wake up and I have different like aches and pains or things are going on. And I was complaining to a friend of mine one day and she's like, what's the matter with you? Who are you to think at this age, you're going to feel good every day? You know, just really appreciate the days you bounce out of bed and have compassion for the days when you're a lot slower. And it just, it just was like reset my mind. It's like, yeah, like. I don't know any other 70 years old that are bouncing out of bed every single day. They might be bouncing higher than I am, but they're not bouncing every day. So like appreciate the good moments and tolerate the bad ones. And really, I love that. It reminds me of Rumi's poem, The Guest House, mm -hmm. where he's talking about, you know, you welcome whatever shows up, yeah. whether it's a meanness, a depression, a fear, or or joy, because each one, a very end line, has been sent as a guide from beyond. But what I'm hearing you say is it's like being with whatever shows up and being grateful. They're, they're not going to stay there forever. They're not going to be now a continual state of beingness. Yeah. When, when I was much younger, I really suffered from from depression and I was on tricyclic antidepressants and different stuff. And, and I eventually discovered that I had low blood sugar, which really impacted it. And that there were certain foods that I could eat and certain nutraceuticals I could take to balance it all out. And ultimately what I discovered was that some days the depression would come back, but I now knew they weren't gonna last forever. I now had proof that there were things that I could take or things that I could do to the point where I don't think I've really been depressed in the last 40 years at all, except at the beginning of the pandemic, when we didn't know how long it was going to be. But suddenly, I couldn't even go walk on the beach across the street. They yellow taped the beach and put up caution tape. I mean, it was so crazy. And I couldn't leave the house because they wouldn't let you in anywhere. Like, until I wrapped my mind around that, that here in my little office in my creativity cave, this was my new world. And I could have all the freedom I wanted in my new world until the world said, you know, gave us the green light to go out again. But other than that, it was really helpful to learn that it all comes and goes. There's good days, there's bad days, there's up times, there's down times. And at this point in my life, I want to live in the middle. I don't no longer want the high highs and I no longer want to go to the low lows. And before I realized that I was always striving for the super high highs. I don't need that much dopamine in my system anymore. Yeah, well, but it just sounds like, I mean, I just look at you right now and you're just glowing and I'm blown away that you're 70 and you can tell that, I mean, you're living life well, you know, you're really living yeah. your life well. Yeah, that and the Zoom has these really wonderful filters. It is working oh. for you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. Well, and I, you know, I wanted to add, you know, my daughter, who is turning 35, had the same realization. You know, she is a non-traditional student and she's just finishing up her art education degree this spring. And she said, you know, mom, I always felt like I was pushing myself. I was doing these hard things because at the end, I'd finally get to rest and that somehow life would stop. And then I just get to be. And then I realized, oh, I just have to be in little moments because it's never going to stop. 
you know, and finding that balance instead of trying to be like, oh, like you just said, like, I'm going to strive for the pinnacle moments. It's like, that's not what life is all about. Yes, that's lovely. And it's so much more fulfilling when you're just in the richness of what is this day? Yeah. These days when I need a visual for it, I, I just imagine myself floating in an ocean of love and mercy. And the water's the perfect temperature. And it's just calm and peaceful. And I'm just surrendered and floating. And that's kind of my happy space. You know, I get in a bathtub at least once a day because the ocean's often too cold. Although I may go in the ocean today. We'll see. I have a lot of requirements. Like the ocean water has to be over 70 and the air temperature has to be over 80. And there can be no wind and no surge. And when it hits all those points, I go in. And I think today's the day. Awesome. Awesome. And Ariel, talk a little bit about, you know, I I, want to go back to the book just for one more moment, because one of the things I love about this book is that it does have a happy ending. I don't want to give anything away, but I love that there is some resolution. And so how do you, in your own life, how have you found some of this? I mean, you're so awesome to share, like, you're so transparent, like, you know, like hard stuff happens, like life happens, shit happens. And you, you continue to be resilient. You continue to find the joy. Can you share an experience in your life? Well, I think I'm a psychotic optimist, you know, um, I, I'm always looking for ways to make lemonade, you know? So I always want to have the story. Like I had I had a really bad year with the 2007 or 2008 where I had the opportunity to make millions of dollars by selling some stock in a startup I was involved with. And I may, I looked at the whole thing logically. I sold a little bit of stock, but not as much as I could have. And my partners each made a couple of million dollars, but I didn't because the way I was looking at things, I'll make even more money if, because I was a marketing person, if I hold on and I leverage my position with this new company. And 24 hours after I made that decision, the new owner of the new company did some machinations that devalued my remaining stock. So it was now worthless. Now, what came out of it was they realized they couldn't run the company without me. So they gave me a position with a very big salary and a car and and all kinds of other goodies. But I was so angry at myself for a long time, you know, like, you know, and then I thought, well, let's rewind. Imagine I had made this $2 million in profits. What would I have done? The first thing I would have done was I would have gone out and bought a house here in La Jolla. Six months after this sale went down, we had the housing crisis, the whole the market crashed. Remember that? Oh, the yeah. whole real estate thing. And I realized then that A, I would have been underwater with a very expensive house. And B, I wouldn't have accepted the job. I wouldn't have had that position. I would have had no job and no house. So I was able to rework it. And I thought, well, what good came out of it? Because I spent three years at this new company. Well, I deepened all these relationships with these other marketing things. And I learned all this new stuff and I made new friends. And I was able to completely reframe what looked like stupidest thing I ever did into the smartest thing I ever did. You know, so it's just kind of in my nature to want to make lemonade. I don't want to live with, oh, I'm such an idiot. I shouldn't have done that. And so ultimately, I don't regret it. And when I look back at other points in my life where I could have regretted something, I just go in and make up a new story about it, about why it worked for me. I'll I'll tell you one more story about that. In, In 1984, I had a job that I loved. And then this man showed up and talked me into leaving my job to go work for him. And he offered me the sun, the moon, and the stars. And it looked like the greatest job in the world. And 90 days later, he fired me unexpectedly. And I was devastated. I never saw it coming. I had left something I loved. And now I have no job. And I thought, you know what? I was living in Miami. I thought, I've always wanted to live in LA. I'm going to move to LA 
and see what happens. Well, I moved to LA and it was like my whole life began. Everything good that ever came to into me happened when I moved to LA. And 10 years later, I ran, the man who fired me, Jack, I ran into his ex-wife and I said, oh, do you ever see Jack? Oh, yeah, yeah, we still talk all the time. I said, the next time you talk to Jack, I need you to tell him something for me. She said, what? I said, tell him I want to thank him profusely for firing me. Firing me was the greatest thing anybody could have ever done. Because he fired me, I moved to L.A. and I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't have the life that I have today if he hadn't fired me. I love this story. I'm so glad that you yeah. shared that yeah. because isn't that true? So it's like we can look back and actually see these things almost like golden breadcrumbs instead of disasters. And, yeah, and I mean, at the time it happened, if somebody said, oh, I can give you a magic wand and we can fix it, you know, I'm, I would not go back today and fix it. I'm, I truly am really grateful that he lied to me. Isn't that wild? And and so, and really, as you say that, I think how hopeful for the listeners, you know, to like really think about, we might not see the wisdom and what's happening right now. And someday we might be able to look back and really see that there actually was wisdom in what happened. There was actually that life was happening for us, not yeah. to us. Right. But when you're in the pain and suffering, you can't believe it because we always right. want to know how. How is it going to be better? When is it going to be better? Because we can't be with not knowing. I think that's like the greatest lesson to be learned in this life is how to be with not knowing. And, well, and, and is there a tool for that? I mean, you talk about, you know, this no, thing I of like, how do we, how do we just accept this? Because I, I hear you and I hear a lot of my clients saying the same thing. It's like, how do we exist in the mystery? How do we befriend maybe? I think that's that the piece. benefit of being 70. Because I can now look back and see that the stuff that I thought was the worst thing that ever happened to me ultimately was the best thing that ever happened to me. And even if somebody had told me, if someone had sat me down on the day I got fired and said, oh, someday you're going to be so happy and so grateful because you're going to move to L.A. and you're going to do this, that and the other thing. And it was all stuff I had never thought of doing and hadn't done. I would not have believed them. So we're not supposed to always know, but I think what we can know for sure is that the universe has our back. You know, so did you ever see the movie, the, the something Marigold Hotel? I, I know what you're saying. No, I don't think I did. So something Marigold Hotel. And at the end, the guy's behind the desk at the hotel and somebody says something to him and he says to her, he says, everything's going to be okay in the end. Well, you don't know that. How do you know that? And he says, I do know that because if it's not okay right now, it's because it's not yet the end. Ooh, that just gave me the chills. Love that. Yeah. yeah. Love that. And, and what a perfect, you know, thing with your book. And, you know, I can't believe we're almost out of time. And so I want to make sure that I, I touch base upon one of the parts that was really fascinating to me and that was her uh, palm leaf reading. Yes, the naughty reading. The naughty reading. And I went online because I saw in the back of your book that, yeah. that that actually is a real thing. Yes, yes. I've, and I've that had, you had that done. I've had many naughty readings. I had two in person in India. And then I've had two online with Dr. Q that I write about in the book. And they're, they're mind-blowing. So 5,000 years ago, there was this ancient seer who wrote down basically the Akashic records about people who would live in the future. And on a palm leaf, he wrote everything there was to know about them, you know, their name, their parents' names, their siblings' names, what they would do in their life, the highlights and the low points of their life are all written on this leaf. And it's written in ancient Tamil, which kind of looks like Egyptian. You know, it's impossible to read. And there's not a leaf for everybody. But if there's a leaf for you, the way they find it is you submit your thumbprint, one thumbprint, left for women, right for men. And then they go to find a bundle of leaves. And then once they find a bundle of leaves that they believe your leaf is in, then the process begins. And eventually, if they have a leaf for you, there's a, a guy, a, a priest reading ancient Tamil with an interpreter who is now telling you, you know, your name is Ariel. 
Your mother's name was Sheila. Your father's name was Harvey. Your father had two wives. Your mother was the first wife. You are the oldest of a younger brother and a younger sister. You were born on an early Monday morning. You went to uh, college and you work in the field that you study and you've written many books and you will write many more books. And, you know, you have issues around this kind of health challenge and you know they like they tell you everything that's happened up until the day that you're sitting there and then they start to tell you your future they go year by year for your future for me they don't do this with everybody unless you ask but for me at the end they said are you interested in knowing the date time and circumstances of your death and I said yes because I had had a Vedic palm reading in Varanasi many years earlier where they told me that information. And I thought, oh, I'm 3000 miles away. I wonder if it'll be the same, the exact same information. So I now know the date, time and circumstances of my death. And I was, I was very pleased with the information I got. So the naughty readings are magical and crazy, and there's no explaining them. But they're wild. And at least a dozen of my friends have done the ones with Dr. Q, which you can read about in the back of the book. How has it informed you in positive ways moving forward in your life when they gave you information that was up ahead? Well, most of the time helpful? I didn't believe it, you know, because when they were telling me, they just told me, you know, like three years ago, oh, yes, you'll be writing my books. And I was like, okay, isn't 11 enough? I never saw this 12th one coming, you know? So I, it, all it informed, all it did was piss me off. It's like, no, I don't want to write a book, <laughs> you know? Um, so for me, it was just more about getting in alignment with the magic and mystery of the universe, because you can't explain it. You can explain gravity, but you can't explain how does a naughty reading get to be so accurate? How did they know? Like, like the first time I had the reading in India was in 2003. I was in a cement brick room. There was one light bulb hanging from the ceiling. There was no internet. There was no Wi-Fi. They didn't have my name. They only had my left thumbprint. And yet they're saying to me, your mother's name is Sheila. Your father's name is Harvey. And then they started naming other names that even on the internet you couldn't find. You know, like I have relatives who have nicknames that are not on their birth certificates that they're talking about. Like wow. how did they do that? Just the pure magic of, you know, being with these two guys that one speaks Tamil, one speaks what I call English, because it's it's barely English, you know, and then they're telling you all about your life. It's just amazing. So cool. So cool. Well, let people know, how can they find out, number one, more about you? I know you're doing so many amazing things in the world and people, how do they connect with you? How do they get your book? Okay, a couple of things. So my main website is myname.com, rl4.com. And if you want to go to Italy with me in May, I'm doing a women's retreat in Italy. Uh, that's rl4.com slash events. Also, the book website is thelovethief.com. And you can get the free whole yoga package there. There's all these videos on yoga philosophy and yoga poses to overcome heartbreak, betrayal, depression, you name it, uh, anger, forgiveness. So really my website and also I'm on Instagram, Ariel Ford 44. So awesome. Ariel, thank you so much for sharing all of this just beautiful insight and your own stories and this awesome book, The Love Thief with the World. Thank you. Thank you. What an amazing time with Ariel Ford and talking about love and betrayal, revenge and transformation. You know, again, this book, The Love Thief, it's so inspirational because when someone has gone to the depths of who they are, both in physical injury and an emotional injury, and those things actually end up becoming the gift. It's the gift in this woman's life. So love the book so much. Love Ariel as she talks to us about the importance of really adapting the mindset that love is who we are. 
And love is not just a once in a lifetime occurrence. We can continue to find love and that we find love within each one of us. So no matter what your experience is with love, it's never too late to love happily ever after. And I think the important piece too is she's talking about if someone out there is truly looking for love in their lives, that you don't have to adapt this mindset that, oh, I'll never find them. Oh, just because I haven't had love, it's not there in the cards for me. Because when you do that, she was talking about through the law of attraction, we're not attracting what we really want. But through her golden thread exercise that she has at arielford.com under gifts is this beautiful golden thread exercise where you can start envisioning your soulmate and know that you are already connected to them, that you're already bringing this into your life. I think too, that important message around looking for who we're with when we're with someone, really looking at who they are, and then taking our time, not rushing into love, not rushing into that intoxicating place, the most addictive place, which is the beginning of love, and really being aware if we're being love-bombed or not. I think it's important that we realize the feelings that we might be mistaking for love, their attraction, their lust. And once the chemical cocktail has worn off, like it inevitably does, then we can look at what real love is. And real love takes time to grow. We can love people instantly. I mean, I'm definitely a lover. I love people the moment that I meet them and I think, oh, they're amazing. But when we're talking about life partners, that's a longer process. And I love what Ariel shared with us about compatibility, about that we have to have number one, most important, shared vision and shared goals with our partner, with our beloved. That's what makes love last. So a hopeful episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. I know that I did. It always reinforces in me the beauty that no matter what we have gone through and the wounds that we will carry with us, that we do have the power to heal. And love truly is what we are. You have been listening to Igniting the Spark with Stephanie James. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Make sure you subscribe and receive every episode. For more information about this show, my books, films, and events, go to stephaniejames.world and ignite your best life. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.